Good evening. As I was having to think about what to preach on tonight, I thought, I really want to finish a book. I really want to preach through a book. So I thought, let's go into Philippians uh, chapter 3. Uh, hopefully we'll get Philippians finished this year. Um, but I looked at the first few verses and I thought, oh no. The first couple of chapters were, were great and meaty and full of encouragements and we're going to have some fun at the beginning of chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 11, but we're going to focus on verses 1 to 7 at the end of the month. I'm going to preach through verses 8 to 11. And it reads like this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss eh, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the way that, that it penetrates straight into our hearts like no other book, like nothing else is able to do. Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you speak to each one of us? In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're going to focus on verses 1 to 7 of this passage. And this is a title for this evening, Confidence in Christ and Not of Ourselves. Um, this very much continues as chapter 1 and 2 continued. He opens with the word finally, which is a bit confusing because obviously it's the middle of the book, it's not the end of the book. Uh, but he's merely telling us that we're moving in to something else. We're reading this book of Philippians and we're given this lens of being Christ-minded, this idea that everything we do, that everything we are, is done through the lens of being minded like Christ, eh, which Paul has given us many examples of, eh, has given us the standards of Christ of, eh, and has really hammered home to us as the reader. He gives us a way to see Christ above everything else. And we see the, the, the broad theme of this passage, what we see, and it kind of continues down to verse 16, it, it's this theme that Paul loves that we're to have joy and we're to have confidence that is firmly rooted in Christ alone. And the main purpose of the text we're going to read tonight in verses 1 to 7 is this idea that it's all about God, that it's not about ourselves, that it's not about our personal accomplishment, because if anybody could boast, if anybody had the right to say something, to be above others, it was Paul. So firstly, we're going to look at the call that Paul puts out in verses 1 to 3, just to read those verses. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I read this story that made me laugh. Made Victoria laugh as well, so that's always a good sign. But two friends were walking into a crowded cafe and they spotted this large sign that says, Watch your hats and and jackets. The first friend was determined to keep an eye on his coat that was hanging up and he kept turning every minute, almost choking on his food. And his pal just kept on eating without any thought of his own for his coat on the hook. And the second friend finally turned around and went, Calm down, you can stop watching our coats. And his friend replied, I'm only watching mine. Yours has been gone for half an hour. <laughs> Look out, Paul says three times. Pay attention. Not paying attention could be dangerous, especially if your jacket's sitting somewhere else unattended. But Paul gives the church, particularly the church in Philippi, many warnings. But now he's doing it again, which of course shows us the importance, which shows us the significance of the message that he's bringing here. The message is, look out. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. A threefold warning to the church. But who's he talking about? What must we look out for? A look into church history, a look into the book of Acts tells us. From the very beginning, the gospel came first to the Jews. We read in Acts 3. The first seven chapters of Acts talk us through the dealings of of Jewish believers or Gentiles who had been converted. The first example we see of the gospel moving outside of these groups is in Acts 8 when it goes to the Samaritans. But there wasn't too much trouble caused because the Samaritans were close enough, they were partly Jewish, it was okay, we can live with that. But then when Peter went to the Gentiles in chapter 10, it went mental. There was an uproar. Because of this, Peter was called back and he was told to go and report in Jerusalem of his goings on to justify himself. We find in Acts 11 that he describes Forrest so vividly. So the question is, why was there such a problem? What was the issue? You see, the issue was that we find in Acts 10 that's been referred to in here is this idea that Gentiles could become Christians without first becoming Jews. And this was a whole new thing for so many people. Peter had explained that it was God that had directed them to preach to the Gentiles. And the matter to him was settled. That was it. Christ told me to go, therefore I went. God told me what to do, so I went and I did. But it wasn't settled for very long. Paul was sent out by the Spirit again to the Gentiles, his first missionary journey, Acts 13. Peter had opened this door and Paul followed this example. But it didn't take long for this group, for this group of strict Jewish believers to oppose this ministry of Paul. Because Paul was saying, do you know what? You don't need to become Jews first. You don't need to be circumcised. It's not about the law, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And we call this group that seek to mix the law and mix faith, the Judaizers. And that's who Paul is addressing here. So Paul calls them out. And he calls them out quite impressively. He doesn't just say, you know, watch out for them. They're over there. But he calls them dogs. What an insult it is to call someone a dog. The Orthodox Jews would call the Gentiles dogs. 
But here Paul returns it with a good and a firm rebuke. He's not just picking a random name. It seems a bit random just to pick a dog to use for them. But they were like scavengers. They were like scavengers that were picking at the teachings of Paul. They followed Paul like a dog. They followed him everywhere he went. They were barking at his feet with their nonsense and false doctrines. And they were troublemakers and like dogs can be. They were carriers of a disease. They were carriers of nonsense that they wanted to infect the truth with. We're told that they were evildoers. Why? Because they taught that faith and works, that's what's needed. That it's not just about Jesus, but it's the and. That Paul addresses so much in his ministry that it's always Jesus and. Jesus in you, Jesus in stuff, Jesus in law, Jesus in commandments. There always has to be something else. But Paul explains to them that their good works are really evil works. Why? Because they're driven by the flesh. They're driven by what they want. They're driven by this idea of looking good, of standing firm, of being proper. But their works were not driven by a faith. They were not driven by a faith that was in submission to God. Because our good works are to be the result of our faith, not the motivation of faith. And the third warning he gives against the mutilators of the flesh. The word circumcision literally translated as the word mutilation. These men taught that circumcision was essential to salvation. But Paul tells them here it's nothing more than mutilation. The significance of what was is gone. In the new covenant in Christ, no longer do we need to be circumcised. The true Christian has experienced the spiritual circumcision, a circumcision done by Christ as we come into relationship with him. So the call here, the call to the church is to be on your guard, is to be on your watch, is to be on your lookout for the nonsense that follows here. But it goes deeper than that. The reason, these are all the outworking things, these are all the things they're niggling at, but what was their biggest problem? Their biggest problem was the flesh. How often does the Bible refer positively to the flesh? It doesn't. The flesh is our old nature. The flesh is what is gone, but now our nature is in Christ. The Bible has nothing good to say about the flesh. But yet most people rely entirely upon it. They rely entirely upon themselves to do what they can to please God. But in fact, it is the flesh that corrupts God's ways on earth. It is the flesh that drives us away from Christ. As far as our spiritual lives are concerned, the desires of the flesh, the desires of what I want, do us no benefit. Paul understood the dangers of putting an emphasis on the fact it's Jesus plus flesh, it's Jesus plus something else. These false teachers were obsessed with the external. They were obsessed with the flesh. They were so obsessed with what they should do and how they should look and how they should be. How often is that us? How often are we, me, me, me? It's all about me. If we don't stop ourselves very intentionally, how often can we go days, weeks, with just thinking about ourselves? 
It's all about me. It's all about what I have to do. It's all about my priorities. It's all about where I want to be. In verse 3, Paul gives us three things, three characteristics of a believer. He says this, for we are the circumcision. It is us. It is us who are found in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he and those that believe the same as he does, those that believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, are the true circumcision. Our hearts are circumcised and we are the true children of God. The next things he tells us is we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Why is it important that it's not just who worships, full stops, but by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus? Why? Because true worship starts with God. It doesn't start with me and you. Worship is us responding to who God is and what God has done. It's not God responding to us. The purpose of our worship is to give God the praise, is to give him the honor, is to give him that glory. Why? Because he is worthy. Not something that has to be earned. Not anything that has to do with the flesh or my desires or the things that you want to put on or put in this. But it is so simple. Now we ask, why are you here tonight? Our answer is to worship. What is worship? We come together to be nourished. We come together to be fed. We come together to fellowship. Yes, we can worship our God anywhere. Yes, we can be fed the truth anywhere. But there is something so wonderful, something so beautiful in coming together around the word. Coming together in unity of Christ. We take Christ and we take his life, we take his actions and we use that as our strength. In Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that we are given in scripture is useful. Every word that he gives us is good for worship. Every word we are given points to our God. Paul's saying, take it, take it, believe it, stand on it, use it, continue to progress in it, move forward in your relationship with God, act on it, that's worship. We worship through the Spirit of God to the glory of Christ Jesus. Did you come here tonight to worship? Did you come to this place with the expectation that you will go deeper in your relationship with Christ Jesus? Church is never meant to be an unhealthy routine. It's never meant to be something that's dead. But it's to be a place of nourishment, a place of worship, a place of fellowship. Thirdly there Paul gives us, but no confidence in the flesh again there is no confidence in who I am there is no confidence in what I do but all of my hope and all of my security is in Christ Jesus alone not my own doing not my own strength but in the work and the power of our God there's only one good work that takes us to heaven there is only one good work that saves us and that is the work that was done by Christ at Calvary The work of Jesus Christ turned everything 
upside down. As we looked at our verse of the year this morning, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's no longer about us, but it's all about Jesus. Let that be a reassurance to us this evening. How reassuring is it, that reminder that salvation does not depend on us, but on the glorious work of Jesus Christ. Don't ever let that message be distorted because it is as simple as that. Everything around us is about the external. We went into that in some depth this morning. But everything's about results. It's about looks. It's about the end product. It's about the outward. It's about everything that's out here. And it's exactly the same as these Pharisees. It's exactly the same as these Judaizers that were chasing Paul. It's all about what's out here and it's all about what's going on. But God wants us to strip it all away. He wants us to strip away every single bit of it because it's all about the heart. It's all about our relationship with God. That is why he calls us to put no confidence in the flesh. Where would you rather be or where are you? Driven like these false teachers by the external. Driven by how things are, how things look, how things seem. Or by the heart. Driven by your relationship with Jesus Christ. In verses 4 to 6, Paul gives us an example. Paul loves to give examples and maybe he's run out of people to give examples of, so he gives us an example of himself. But he says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. Have you ever bought anything quite big or quite important? I mean, like a house or a car or a pet or something like that. And I don't know if you're the kind of person that makes checklists for things. Victoria likes to be have little boxes and bullet points and all that sort of stuff. Does it tick this box? Does it tick that box? And Some people like to be quite ordered. I'm more of a gut feeling kind of guy. If it's good, we go for it. If it's not, nah, let's just leave it. But what Paul gives us here is this kind of tick box type thing. He goes, right, okay. So I'm going to show you how if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, I'm going to win this. I have more reason to be confident in the flesh and the external than absolutely any of you guys. That's what he says to them. So he gives them this list of boxes. He's used the examples so far in this book of Jesus, of Timothy, of Epaphroditus. Um, He's given them to us as examples. And now he moves on to show us himself. And I think it's really important that he shows us himself in here. Again, we read this in Paul's humility. He wants to teach the people. This isn't something that he wants to do. He doesn't want to boast within this but he's seeking to teach people what it looks like to get this faith and works thing right he's not speaking from a pedestal he's not speaking from a place of arrogance because he knows the dangers of trying to gain salvation by good works so the list we know that paul is educated we know that paul sat under rabbi gamaliel that means he was a good guy Rabbi Gamaliel was a huge rabbi and that meant that there was real prowess that came with Paul. It meant that there was real um, 
status and stature within Jewish circles that came to him. But he gave every bit of that up to become a member of this hated Christian group and a preacher of the gospel. You see, the Judaizers, they compromised a lot of them to avoid persecution. The gospel of Jesus was not popular. The gospel of Jesus was persecuted, so they thought, let's just take a bit of both. Let's just mix it together, and therefore, nobody will stand against us. But Paul is having none of it. So this is what he tells us. Firstly, he tells us of his relationship with the nation. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This tells us he wasn't a convert. Some extra brownie points, another tick there. He was the descendant of Benjamin. Benjamin and Joseph, favorite sons of Jacob. Tick, another good one. He's doing well so far. Um, Israel's first king came from Benjamin. And this little tribe were faithful to David during the rebellions. Massive tick again. Paul's genealogy is fantastic. Paul's genealogy is second to none. Those that go before him, his heritage is absolutely spot on. It's something to be proud of. His education is something to be proud of. If we're we're marking people by the, the stature and the prowess of their family tree, I think Paul is beating all of us. And then he tells us of his relationship with the law in verse 5. Um, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to righteousness under law, blameless. You see, obviously, we have such a negative view of the Pharisees. But even in the Christian circles at this time, that wasn't really seen. And especially to the Jews, the, the Pharisees were the pinnacle. The Pharisees were, were the best of the Jewish experience. There was no better. It was the ideal. It was what you wanted to attain to be these learned Pharisees. He'd held these orthodox beliefs and he'd fulfilled his religious duties religiously. Do you know, we, to us, the word Pharisee equals hypocrite. But at the time, there was no connotation of that at all. Measured by righteousness of the law, measured by the law, again, massive tip for Paul. He kept the law, he kept the traditions perfectly. 10 out of 10. A star so far, we see from Paul. And then he tells us of his relationship to Israel's enemy. It wasn't just enough to believe the truth, but a man must also oppose uh, lies. And how does he do this? He does this by persecuting the enemy. He does this by persecuting Christians, by persecuting the church. He assisted in the stonings of Stephen, as we know. He led an attack against the church. Some Jews could boast of their heritage, could boast of their obedience to the law, but Paul passes all of that because he takes every single box. Kind of leads us to ask the question, how did a man like Saul get it so wrong for so long? But we won't reflect on that because we know that, that his eyes were opened. And he saw the glories of our God. But it's interesting. It's interesting to ponder and think on just how good this guy was in those circles. And that's what he says to them. He says to them, look, if you want someone who's going to stand on that prowess, if somebody who in the flesh is great, then it's me. But he abandons it all. 
He abandons every single bit of it for the righteousness of Christ. And I just want to bring us into our, our final point in verse 7. Very simply, I think this rounds it off really nicely. But it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. We have the call to make. As Paul had that call to make. He left behind a lot more than any of us would leave behind to become Christians. But the call of, for us is to follow Christ and not our old selves. To follow Christ and not what is out with Christ. To live in the freedom that Christ has given us and nothing else. This is what it means to be a Christian. This isn't advanced stuff. This is basic stuff. As Jesus tells us in Luke 14... So therefore, any, uh, any one of you who do not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, means we turn our back on what is not of him. To count all as lost means that every decision we make, every one of our actions, all of our dealings with people are shaped by Christ. We've been given this example. We've been given this example of Paul that ticks every external box. And now we're given his reality. We're given what it means and what it looks like to give every single bit of it up. Paul was a great Jew. He was an incredibly impressive Jew. But in a heartbeat, he gave all of it up. And he tells us, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is why Paul is so, so clear and so often emphasizes that, that Christ is gain and nothing else is. The most famous verse uh, in Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This idea that Christ is above all else. It's all about Jesus. It's all about that eternity that I will spend with my God. And our call here on earth is to live in him and to do his will. Whatever gain I had, he says, you know, there's so much promise out there. There's so much promise of comfort, of love, of money, of possessions, of acceptance, of fulfillment, and of pleasure. They're all there. They're all achievable to us. If we put our minds to it, these things are there for us. But the biggest lie that comes with that is that they will satisfy. Because they won't. They're just empty promises made by an empty world that seeks to pull us away from Christ. And towards the thing of the world. The things that this world can offer us. The internal versus the external. The internal, our hearts must win every time we'll never find that sense of fulfillment that we can find in christ in this world i counted as loss for the sake of christ some great words for us to open this year into paul took every single bit of it he took his ethnic status he took his education he took his power his prestige his place as society and counted every bit of that as loss it proves to us that there's nothing as transformational as the power of Jesus Christ. 
that there is nothing so radical that could see a man forsake what looks like so much. To anyone who doesn't understand the gospel, this is madness. This makes no sense. But that transformational encounter, the transformational power that went with him, continued with him throughout his life, meant that he never looked back. And I love that. I love that as we reflected this morning on the sufficiency of our God's grace, that tonight it's another helpful reminder for us that there's no need to look back. There's no need to look out at this world because our God is sufficient. There's no need to look at the world with envy and think, what's out there? There's no need for us to think, what if I just try this? What if I just do this? There's no need for any of that because Jesus is better than it all. Matthew 16, Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? To follow our desires, to follow the promises of the world, to follow the external of the will of Christ results in loss every single time. It's better to have no money and be focused on Christ than to have every penny in this world and lose sight of Christ. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Tonight we gather because we acknowledge that reality. We reject what the world has to offer and instead we choose to pick up our crosses and follow Christ. My challenge for us as we go into 2019, will you go deeper with Christ this year? Will you pick up this challenge to turn your back more on this world and more to Christ? Will you rely more and more on the cross that saved you and continues to save you? Will you sit at that cross as your shelter and as your refuge? The beauty of all of this the beauty of this message is that there is a promise in Jesus that can be made and is made nowhere else. The promise to us is for fulfillment, for purpose, and for a life worth living that only comes from the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Not with any added extras, not with anything taken away, but purely the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the message from Paul for us tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, indeed it is a privilege for us to, to gather together. As we look to this passage, as we look to this challenge of turning our backs on what is there, turning our backs on what is wrong, turning our backs on the world and turning to you. As Paul so clearly shows us in this passage, turning away from anything but the gospel of Christ. Lord, would you challenge us this week? Would you challenge us in areas of our lives that, that we need to forsake for the purposes of Christ? Would you illuminate to us the areas that we need to follow you better? Would you show us the areas of our lives that we need to cling to you? That we need to cling to the cross that saved us and continues to this day to save us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. 
we thank you that Christ paid the price in absolute full. There wasn't a penny left over to pay, but Christ paid every bit of it for us. Amen.